everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then let me just welcome you and say that I am so glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So before we hop into the content for today's episode, let me just do a little bit of quick housekeeping. For anyone who gave to this ministry in 2023, you should have received an email with like the contribution report for whenever you file your taxes. And if you did not receive one of those and you did give to, I just want to talk about the Bible in 2023, then just please email me at, I just want to talk about at gmail.com. And I will happily get that sorted out for you very, very quickly. And thank you so much to all the, all of those who, who did give to those of you who, um, supported this ministry in 2023. Uh, may the Lord bless you abundantly for your generosity. So let's move on today into the episode. I will say at the outset that this is something that I am still in the process of learning, which is why it's on my heart and why I want to share it with you guys. At the end of this episode, you may very well walk away with a lot of unanswered questions. And like I said, I'm still learning myself. However, I do think that what we're going to talk about today is going to be a piece to the puzzle, that it will indeed contribute to the conversation. And hopefully we'll provide at least a little bit of clarity um, for you as well as in your own walk with the Lord. So having said that, let me just pause really quickly and ask for the Lord's blessing on this time, because unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, right? Like there's, unless the Lord blesses and honors this time, then it's, then it's just not going to amount to anything except just a bunch of noise. So let's just pause and do that. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your love. Thank you that you want a relationship with us. Thank you for this time that we have just to open up your word. And Lord, we just ask that you honor this time that you are present here. And Lord, that you speak to our hearts, that we hear from you. Because Lord, like we just said, I mean, unless you honor this, Lord, then it doesn't amount to anything. So Lord Jesus, please honor this and speak to all of our hearts. And I pray that we can all walk away saying that we heard from you and encountered you in some sort of meaningful way over the next few minutes as we open up your word. So we love you, Lord, and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, before we get into the specific thing uh, that I want to talk about today that has... um, that that was on my mind recently. Let me just lay a little bit of groundwork here. There is more to existence than just the physical. There is more to reality than just the material. And if we're going to have a biblical worldview, if we're going to see reality the way that God through his word says that it is, then we are going to have to acknowledge the existence and reality of a spiritual realm. A spiritual realm that overlaps with and interacts with the physical realm. And we'll look at a handful of verses for that in in just a moment. But before we do, let's just think about human beings. Let's just think about ourselves for a second. We are not just physical beings. We are also spiritual beings. This is why we continue to exist even after physical death. Listen to this statement that Jesus makes here in Matthew 10, down here in verse 28. He said, and do not fear those who can, I'm sorry, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, he says here that there is more that can happen to a person than just 
the killing of their body. If we were strictly physical beings, then the killing of our body would be the end of our entire existence. But he goes on to say, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So when somebody dies, they either go to be with the Lord or they're separate, separated from him in hell, but they continue to exist. And I'll link the episode where we talked about the gospel as well in the show notes of this one where we get into um, more of, uh, of that information as well if you want to listen to that. But my point is just saying, even when we just look at ourselves as human beings, we see the reality that there is more than just a physical. There's also um, the spiritual. Let me give you the example from 2 Kings chapter 6. Really incredible story. I really love it. It's um, the prophet Elisha. His servant goes out for like a morning walk outside of the city. And when he steps outside the city, he sees an army surrounding the city come to attack it. And he is very reasonably distressed over this. And Elisha says to him that those who are for them are more than those who are against them. Now, this... This, uh, it doesn't look that way from this servant's perspective, but then Elisha goes on to pray and ask the Lord to open his eyes that he may see. The Lord honors that prayer. And what the servant sees is on the hills surrounding that region, there are chariots upon a chariot upon chariot of fire. There's this huge heavenly army, the army of God present on their behalf. All of a sudden, the attacking army probably looks very small by comparison, and the the emotions that the servant was feeling have probably completely shifted, right? There was a, what's my point in sharing this? My point is that there was a spiritual reality present that he was not aware of. He was not aware of, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't present. It doesn't mean that it wasn't true. There was stuff happening in the spiritual realm that he was oblivious to, but those things that were happening in the spiritual were impacting the physical. And this also illustrates something that's helpful to remember, and that's that many times we cannot perceive what is happening in the spiritual realm through the five senses. At first he couldn't, but in this situation, the Lord opened his eyes so that he could actually see, he could see with his eyes, he could perceive through one of the five senses what was happening spiritually. And so that does happen. So I'm, I'm not, I would never say that we never perceive what's happening in the spiritual through the physical, because that would just be unbiblical. But frequently, we don't necessarily um, pick up through our five senses what is happening in the spiritual, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening and that it's not there. And we need to study the scriptures and be very, very aware that um, of what the scriptures say about the spirit realm, as well as just I mean, honestly asking God to give us greater sensitivity to these things, because he can give us the ability to absolutely sense things that are going on and just to be aware of, of things that are happening, right? The Bible says that God gives wisdom to those who ask. So I just wanted to lay a little bit of groundwork there, but let's look at a handful of verses here um, about, well, just stuff that's happening in the spiritual realm, spiritual realities. So let's begin with Ephesians 6, chapter or chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, ste- the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And that is verses 10 through 13. If you were to continue reading through the passage, Paul then begins to break down item by item the, um, the, the armor of God. So this is a really popular passage when it comes to the topic of spiritual warfare. And I just want to point out a couple of things very quickly through this. So going back to verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you realize that Satan exists? That he is real. Do you realize that he opposes you? That's what this verse says, that you stand against his schemes, that we need this spiritual armor to stand against the schemes of the devil. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, because we have a spiritual opponent who is seeking to stand against us, to destroy us. This continuing through that passage in verse 12 Uh, It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Stop right there before we go further. I mean, again, the more familiar we become with the passage, the more we can can just just kind of skate through it. But listen to what he just said. He just explicitly stated that what we're talking about right now is not physical. It is a spiritual reality. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But there's the term of contrast. Well, if we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, well, what do we wrestle against? Against the rulers. Against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you hear it? These terms, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil, these are all referring to spiritual enemies. This is referring to spiritual evil. And we're told to take up the whole armor of God. If we want to stand against the schemes of the devil, we need to take up this spiritual armor. So that's one passage. Let's kind of, let's keep moving through. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's right there. Resist the devil. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell us to resist someone that doesn't exist. This verse acknowledges the reality of the existence of Satan. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You hear that? You hear how he's being described? Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do you realize that that's true of your life, that the enemy wants to destroy you? Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Luke 10, 17 through 20. This is right after Jesus sent out 72 disciples and they came back. It says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So right there, we already see the existence of demons there. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Obviously, I emphasize certain words to draw out the point. Um, Let's see here. Let's come down here, and I, there's, I also, you can check these out on your own time if you want, Revelation 12, 7 through 11, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. Um, let's hear 1 Timothy 4, 
says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And then he goes on to talk about what some of these teachings are, and that's 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. And so here you have, it says there's these, there are these, um, unbiblical teachings, right? It says some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And this is through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And so it's coming through people, but it's originating in spiritual evil. It's deception. It's key. It's, it's seeking to turn people away from the, the truth of the gospel. Um, just a couple more here. Second Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. This one is important. They're all important, but I I definitely want to include this one. It says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will uh, correspond to their deeds. Here he says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so there's there's lots more scriptures we could look at to illustrate the reality of um, Satan and demons. But this is very important because if somebody is not aware that we have a spiritual enemy, then we're not going to obey what the Lord through his word has told us to do, which is resist him. Resist him and not give him opportunity. Now, this would be a really good time for us also to just include 1 Corinthians um, 10, 13, as we're having this discussion about spiritual warfare and the enemy opposing us and resisting us. Um, The verse says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God in his faithfulness is not going to allow us to be tempted beyond our ability and be in a position where we have to sin or something like that. So coming back to the conversation about the spirit realm, let's look at the other end of the spectrum and look at some verses about angels. Psalm 91, 11 through 12, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Angels. Hebrews 1.14, and this is talking about angels, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? You hear that? To serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Matthew 26, 51 through 54, this is in the garden when Jesus is being betrayed. And behold, um, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Now listen to what Jesus says here. That was the end of verse 52, but listen to what he says. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? There, the existence of angels. And then Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And these lists are certainly not exhaustive. I mean, obviously, the scriptures would have more to say about the enemy and spiritual evil. The scriptures would have more to say about um, angels, spiritual good. I mean, and this, and just, I mean, we're talking about the reality of a spiritual realm. Um, 
let me just really quickly go over here to John. John chapter 4. Jesus, this is in the conversation where Jesus is having the conversation with a woman at the well. In John 4, 24, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. Now, of course, we know that the second member of the Trinity, uh, the Son, took on a physical body, the Incarnation. And he still has a physical body because remember when he was raised from the dead, he was raised physically. His disciples felt him. They touched him, right? But God is spirit. So I all of this I share just to illustrate the reality of the spiritual realm. And you might have already been on this page. You might have already been like, okay, thanks, Christian, for you know convincing me of something I already believed. But I know that there has to be somebody out there like me who would say, you know, I, I have, the whole time I've been a believer, I would, of course, acknowledge the reality of the spiritual realm. I would tip my theological hat at it. But frequently, I would live as though I didn't have an enemy. Frequently, I would acknowledge, at least verbally, the existence of spiritual warfare and stuff like that. But, I mean, it was just like, how did that impact how I thought? How did that impact my daily life? How did that impact how I interpreted circumstances, right? So, this is just an important reminder for us. But having done that, having done that setup... I just want to make a very, very simple observation, and this is what I was getting to. This is what the um, name of this podcast it comes from, where I named it Satan Was in Eden 2, which, I mean, when you first saw that, you might have been like, where is this going to go? But there's just one thing that I feel like I've come to become more and more aware of, and um, it's come as a result of a lot of confusion but I know that the Lord can redeem. Now I know that all things work together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. And so right now, it's just, it's my prayer. Lord, I ask that the experience I've had will then encourage these dear ones, these, these, these whom you love so much. Amen. Okay. I have talked about this on the podcast before. I have had a lot of difficulty sometimes identifying the origin of thoughts and um, and just having a lot of trouble identifying, okay, was that thought that just ran through my mind, was it from God? Was it from me? Was it from the enemy? Was it, I, I don't know, something else? I, I, I don't know. And having trouble identifying that. Now, at first, that might just sound like frustrating and confusing and Whatever, but it's far more insidious, debilitating, and potentially just derailing than you think. And this is why. If we cannot identify the source of a thought or an impression or a prompting, then we don't know what to do with it. And this is what I mean. If it's God who is speaking to us, who's leading us to do something, then we should obey. That's that. Simply obey. Just do what he says. If it's the enemy, then we need to resist it and ignore it. Just move on and follow the Lord. And what makes this complicated is that it's not that black and white. It really is not. And anyone who has sought to hear from God will know exactly what I'm talking about. Because the enemy can seek to distract, and he can do it through thoughts that have, you know, and promptings and inclinations that there doesn't seem to be anything sinister about them. 
It's not like overtly sinful stuff. Let me give you an example from my own life just to kind of put some flesh on this so that, you know, we can wrap our minds around what we're talking about. Last year, I remember I had the thought run through my mind, um, you should fast. And of course you hear that and you're like, well, sure, that must be the Holy Spirit telling you to fast because it's it's fasting, right? It's fasting. Well, um, yes, fasting done in the right way and for the right reason is is certainly a good spiritual discipline. However, in this case, uh, it was becoming very distracting to me. It was like, you should fast. And so I fasted a little. And then the next thought was like, that wasn't good enough. Fast more. And so I fasted more. And then it was just kind of this like, it was like beating me up, really. And it just kind of went on like this for a few weeks. And time goes on. And I just come to believe that in that instance, that was not the Lord. Um, leading me to fast, I think that that was a few things. I think that was probably the enemy stoking a weakness that um, the Lord is currently healing me from, which is perfectionism and the fear that I'm going to, you know, like just basically not be good enough, that I'm going to disappoint the Lord, that I'm going to frustrate the Lord, that I'm going to not obey well enough and he's going to be emotionally aloof. And you might say, well, Christian, those are very unbiblical ways of thinking. And I would say, I know, right? But it's just, you know, it's really hard. So we can sometimes agree with things in our heads and yet not really believe them in our hearts. And so the Lord is teaching me more and more about that and more and more about his love and how it's steadfast. This is all just kind of a side note here. But I give that as an example. There doesn't seem to be anything sinister about that. But what was the result of it? The result of it was anxiety, stress, feeling like I wasn't doing good enough, getting stressed out, getting worried. Um, And I'll tell you what I wasn't doing. I probably wasn't focusing on anything else. I was probably ignoring the things that God had actually said to me. And the enemy had come along and was cluttering things and throwing in a whole bunch of other stuff as well, just to prevent. And so, I mean, this is something that, um, that I've struggled with a whole lot, a whole lot. And I think that it's been a very successful tactic of the enemy in my life to distract me um, from the things that God has indeed told me. So that's what I want to say. Just First off, just because a thought runs through your mind obviously doesn't mean that it's from God. I mean, that should be a given. But what does this have to do with Eden? Why are we talking about Eden right now? Like, why? what is the deal with the name of this episode? So... Just going back to Genesis 1 through 3, it's a very important passage of scripture. It's important not just because it's, I mean, the creation of the world and, and that, but it's important because it, cre- it it shows us a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of um, identity stuff. We learn about God through this. We learn that he is all powerful, that he is the creator. We learn that he is interpersonal because he he created human. He's not aloof. It's not like it's not like deism teaches which says that God set things in motion and then just like peaced out. That's not at all the way the God of the Bible is portrayed. We see a highly personal and involved God in our lives. You see that in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see that Adam and Eve were created as rulers. They're king and queen because he he shared his dominion with it. He created, he is king over all. And then what does he say? And it says in verse 27 and 28 of Genesis 1, so he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we learn things about our identity. 
that we are made in God's image. And we learn things about the enemy's identity. So, you know, of course, in in chapter 3, that's going to be the fall. And the enemy is taking the form of a uh, of a serpent, which that is a very a very uh, fitting description of him because he's he's the tempter. He it's like he slithers through the grass and is unseen, then seeks to strike when you're unaware, not paying attention, or something like that. And what do we see him doing in the garden? We see him seeking to get the humans to doubt what God has said, to doubt God's character, to doubt his word, and to take matters into our own hands and not trust God, to believe that God is holding out on us, right? He comes and he talks to Eve and, um, and seeks to deceive so, okay, yeah, we know all of this, but what is the, this, and, and this right here is the point that we've been getting to. So everything I've been saying so far, you can, you might be able to relate to on some level. And so my objective here in sharing all of this is to hopefully put just one more tool in your tool belt when it comes to recognizing the activity of the enemy in your life so that you can obey the scriptures by submitting yourself, therefore, to God and resisting the devil and he will flee from you. And on part of that is recognizing the origin of thoughts. And so this is what I want to point out here. Where were Adam and Eve when this conversation with Satan happened? Well, they were in the garden. They were still in Eden. This episode does not happen outside of the garden, but in the garden. Now, why is that meaningful to us right now? That's meaningful to us because this, this is the very place where they were communing with God. This is the very place that they would walk with him. You know, God comes looking for them shortly later in this passage. This is the very place that where, where they were with God. And so what, what does that have to do with us? This is what came to me the other day, just because a thought comes comes into your mind while you are reading the Bible or praying does not automatically mean that that thought is from God. And this is important. This is very important because if we don't understand this, we're going to make ourselves very susceptible because if we believe that any thought that comes, any thought, any prompting, any impression comes into our mind just because it happens to enter our minds while we're reading the Bible and praying, then goodness, then we are open to such distraction. Indeed, we should be extra suspicious of the, like, at that point, not, not suspicious, but extra cautious because how much more would the enemy love to distract us when we're doing something spiritual like that than just going about our day? Now, does God speak to us? Yes, he absolutely does. Absolutely. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And so I just, I'm just suggesting just when you're praying, when you're seeking God, when you're worshiping, when you're doing all these things, just because a prompting or leading happens does not mean that it's from God. Because just like in Eden, the very place where they'd spend time with God, the enemy came and sought to derail, distract, and destroy, really. The same thing can happen when you're kind of I mean, in your own personal Eden of seeking God, seeking his presence. Now, praise God at the end of the Bible, when Eden is restored, the enemy will be destroyed. We will, he will be destroyed. 
Now, note this. Just remember, and this is where things start getting even a little bit more complicated. Just because a thought comes into your mind when you're reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, spending time with God, just because it happens doesn't mean it's from God. And here's another layer. Just because it comes with Scripture doesn't mean it's from God. And where on earth am I getting that from? Well, of course, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, where the enemy tries to get Jesus to misuse Psalm 91. So I'll just read the verses. Psalm 4, I'm sorry, Matthew 4, 4 through, I'll do 7. Matthew 4, I'm sorry, 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so that was through verse 6. I mean, pay attention to that. Satan just quoted scripture, and he's and and the word of God is perfect. The word of God is true. What the enemy is doing here is he is taking a scripture and seeking to apply it in a way that it should not be applied. He is seeking to get Jesus to put the Lord his God to the test and and basically abuse that scripture. So mishandling it. So when script, uh, taking scripture out of context, that sort of stuff. And so Jesus responds with, again, or Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus responded each time with scripture when he was in the wilderness, right? But I just want to point out that just because a thought comes and there's scripture attached to it still does not automatically mean that the thought is from God because Satan we see him here doing, trying to distract, derail, and thwart Jesus using scripture. Now, in Luke's parallel account of Jesus's temptation, in Luke chapter 4, there is a very, very informative and instructive detail that we should we would do well to pay attention to. In Luke 4.13, it says this, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Notice that phrase. It says he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. That reveals something about how the enemy works. He's looking for opportune times. He's looking for opportune times in your life and in my life, times where he knows that we would be, you know, more susceptible to his deception. And so we need to have our guard up. We need to be aware. We need to be conscious of his tactics. We don't need to be ignorant of his schemes. Again, remember in uh, the, the armor of God passage, think about the word that it uses. It says in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes. So, like I said, you just, at this point, you're like, okay, Christian, you told me basically that not to question whether or not the thoughts that come into my mind find their origin in God. And yes, we should question that. And so the answer is, okay, Christian, how could I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt that a thought or an impression or a prompting is from God beyond the shadow of a doubt? And the answer to that is, I don't know yet. I am still learning. And like I said at the beginning of this, I'm still learning, but I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple of things here in the end. At least a couple of things that can help you to discern. First, I would say um ask God. This is I was talking to my mentor about this earlier today, this this very subject, and he referenced 2 Kings 3 where in fact I'll flip there now, where Solomon of course is visited by the Lord and Solomon makes a request. And so in 2 Kings 3, 
it says, let's see, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 3, 1 Kings 3, 1 Kings 3. I was looking at that and I was like, what is all this stuff? So, 1 Kings 3, it says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And that was 1 Kings 3, verses 5 through 9. So just two things here. First, notice the humility that Solomon shows here. He says, I'm a little child. He says, I don't know how to go out or come in. He says, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't know how to do this task that you've called me to. And so I think that that humility is very important to start with for ourselves as well. It's just like when it comes to this, it's like, Lord, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know. And in the passage I read earlier in James 4, James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The verse immediately before that, James 4, 6, says, But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We humble ourselves and then we ask. We ask for the very thing that Solomon said here, which was give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. Now, of course, he's referring to his task of being king over the people here, but look what he's asking for. He's asking for an understanding mind for discernment. He's asking for wisdom. And then in verse 10, it says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Ask him to help you to discern. That's what I'm doing. Lord, please help me to know the origin of all this stuff so I can know what to do with it because Lord, it sends me into tailspins and confusion sometimes because I want to obey, right? Like we want to obey, because here's the thing. Here's, let me show you what form this can take. The enemy could plant a thought in your head. And if he can get you to believe that that thought is from God, then you know what he can do next? If you don't act on it, he can start pointing his finger at you and saying, oh, you're, in, you're disobeying God. God has told you to do something and you're not doing it. You're walking in disobedience. You know what? The discipline of the Lord's probably coming soon. You need to really get like step it up. Do you see how insidious that is? And it can all be over something that's not intrinsically sinful. Something that's, And then you just see how you get thrown into a tailspin of distraction. Be careful. Be careful. So... Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for discernment. And don't be afraid to ask God to confirm things. God wasn't angry with Gideon when he kept asking for God to give him a sign to confirm things. Remember the fleece? Remember that? Ask God, let's say, just be honest with him. And now, if you're 100% certain, like if God has already made something clear and asking for more signs is just kind of like a stalling tactic, that's something different entirely. But if you don't know, if there is uncertainty and your heart is to obey, ask him to, to confirm it, to clarify it, and, and believe that he will, and, and look for the answers, the confirmations. And in addition to asking for wisdom, 
we also, I mean, the, the word of God is going to play an indispensable role in this process, just like we saw with Jesus in the wilderness. We have to know the word of God and be meditating on that because we're going to be able to um, discern truth from error whenever we're doing so. We see that Jesus, we see Jesus doing this with the enemy, even when the enemy tried to mishandle a scripture in Jesus' life. And so for us, the same sort of thing where if we are, you know, even if the enemy is seeking to use scripture to like to misapply a scripture in our life or take it out of context or something, or if we know the scriptures, if we know the truth of God's word, then we're going to be able to combat that with the truth. So the word of God is also going to play an indispensable role in this process of identifying the source of who is speaking. Another thing that I would say is, you guys, it's so helpful to have a godly friend you can talk to. It is so helpful. You can have another believer to talk to that can say, you know, things like, listen, I would never want to go against something the Lord is saying, but as I'm listening to you talk, I have real hesitations. Like, we need people in our life who will say that. Um, my wife, Lacey, has done that for me countless times. And it's been like a breath of fresh air. Um, I have a mentor that I meet with who's done that countless times. And like, it's been like, again, a breath of fresh air. So bring other people into this with you. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? And, um, you know, let me, I could go on a little bit, but that's just the point I wanted to make was just be careful. Just because a thought comes into your mind, even with scripture, when you're spending time with God, doesn't automatically mean it's from him. We must grow in our ability to discern. The enemy is real. The spirit realm is real. And the enemy is never trying to do something benign in your life. He's never like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. It's neither good nor evil. It's just nothing. Now, even if it seems benign, like it will lead to destruction. He is out to steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter 5, 8. Again, one more time. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we need wisdom. We need to be able to discern. So I want to share with you guys one more quote. Um, I, you know, in episode 77 of this podcast entitled Fullness of Joy, I shared a quote from Pastor J.D. Greer of the Summit Church in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. And I'm going to reread that quote here, and I will also include a link to the sermon that it's a quote from, because I was I was very encouraged, um, very, very encouraged while I was listening to this sermon. But the quote is this. When the Holy Spirit, your real shepherd, speaks, it's in the context of hope. Yes, he will convict you of sin, but when he does, it is redemptive. He identifies what he wants you to change, he gives you a plan to do it, and he assures you of his ability to accomplish it through your life. His voice leads to clarity and love and life. When one of the demonic realms speaks to you with a fiery dart, it is in the context of condemnation and despair. It is never clear what they want you to change. There is certainly no hope or no redemption in it. The voice just screams hopelessness and despair. When our enemy speaks, it has the soundtrack of death and defeat and confusion and despair. When Jesus speaks, it is filled with invitation and clarity and love and hope. Any voice leading you to confusion and despair is your enemy's voice, even if it's using valid questions or pointing out true facts. 
My shepherd never leads to confusion and darkness. He leads only to life. Even if Satan is pointing out true things in your life, if it's leading you to despair, recognize that as his voice and resist it. In your life, the voice of despair is the voice of Satan and never the voice of the Holy Spirit. So let me pray for us real quick. Dear Lord, please help us. Please teach us to discern. Please, Lord, bring scriptures to our mind to combat the lies of the enemy, even when he's trying to use scripture against us. Lord, teach us how to recognize your voice and to discern, because, Lord, we are little children. We don't know. We need to be taught, and you are our loving Father who takes care of us. So, Lord, please teach us. Please help your children. Please give us an understanding, discerning mind. And, Lord, we pray this in faith, believing that you will do it. And we love you so much. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, folks. I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that any and all gifts given are tax deductible. So if you feel so led to give, instructions on how to do so can be found in the footer of every podcast episode. And thank you so much to those of you who have already given in the past. All right, guys. Until next time, God bless you.